A recent story that I heard has to do with a little boy who grew up in South Carolina. His name was Ronald, and at the age of nine, Ronald decided that he wanted to go to the library. Specifically, Ronald loved science, and he came to a point where he was getting so ahead with that and wanting to continue to study in science that Ronald decided that he was going to walk a mile himself and head all the way out to the library in order to check out some science books. Unfortunately, though, when Ronald gets there, he's not greeted by a friendly face. You see, when Ronald enters into the library in 1959 in South Carolina, they see a little black boy, and instead of seeing his heart and seeing him for who he is and what he's trying to accomplish, they just judge him by the color of his skin, and they tell him that he is not welcomed there, let alone to check out these books. So the librarian looks at Ronald and tells him to get lost, or he's or she's going to call the cops on him. And I love what this little boy does. He just plops himself down and says, go ahead. And the cops eventually come and, and try to see what the problem is, and the librarian starts to, to criticize Ronald publicly and t- saying that he's not welcome here. And thankfully, the police officers in this moment just say, give him the books, And once his mother arrives, they're able to take care of that, and Ronald's able to take those books home. Later on, Ronald would would grow up and earn a PhD and go to MIT and be one of the first African Americans to go into space. Eventually, he would pass away in what many of us know as the famous Challenger explosion in 1986. But one of the things that I love about this story is is that they eventually ended up renaming that very library after Ronald's name. And what a turn in events, huh? I share that story because because I think there's many moments of our lives when, when people try to put us in a box. When people try to define us, maybe by our gender, maybe by, by our skin color, maybe by just however they view us, they try to define us in that way, and that it ends up being a moment where we can listen to that voice or we could reject it. But either way, it happens far too often and regularly. And for many of us, it ends up crippling us. And it causes us in some ways to live less than lives. I think today's story with Rahab is another picture of this. Where society put her in a box, but God was going to use her and call her to do something else. So we're going to be in the book of Joshua today, and I welcome you to turn there. Uh, We're mainly going to be in Joshua chapter 2, but the story of Rahab kind of goes from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 6. So go ahead and turn there to Joshua chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles with you today, then feel free to take out your smartphones if that is an easier way for you to follow along. We will also have most of the verses today 
on the screen. But sometimes I don't put the verses up there strategically because I think it's a good habit to be able to uh, familiarize yourself with God's Word. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. And as a reminder, if you don't have one, we will get you one. So just simply talk to me or one of the elders after the service and we'd be happy to get a Bible in your hands. So we are in Joshua chapter 2, a little bit of a a context or background for Joshua chapter 2 since we've been jumping around so much in Scripture. Uh, Just so you can kind of understand a little brief survey, so God calls Abraham, right, to be able to go to a land and and he's going to bless Abraham and that through Abraham he's going to have many descendants and he's going to be a nation, a people of Israel. Well, eventually, as, his, as that starts to happen, he has a line of people that are enslaved in Egypt, and Moses is the one that liberates them out of Egypt. And Moses helps them wander through the wilderness as God is sanctifying and working with the people, and he eventually brings them to the promised land, although Moses himself does not enter. Well, after Moses, you have this person named Joshua whose namesake is over this book. He, in some ways, is is the person that comes into leadership after Moses and will ultimately bring the Hebrew people into the promised land. And it's here that we find ourselves in this moment where Joshua is trying to enter into the promised land and break down those barriers that were preventing the people from moving forward. So Joshua chapter 2, it says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So there's this area named Jericho. And inside Jericho, there's this woman named Rahab. Now, we don't know exactly what Jericho was as a city. Some scholars think that Jericho was a military city that would have had maybe some sorts of taverns and brothels and things like that to be able to um, help keep the spirits up of the men. But what we do know is, is that Jericho was this fortified city with these strong walls that stood tall and allowed this city to be protected by these walls. So just like before, when these spies were sent before, um, there's, there's two spies that are sent again into this area of Jericho to be able to survey what's going on. Now, Scripture goes out and it mentions that they go to this place named, where, where this woman is there named Rahab, who is what? A prostitute. Now, there's no little girl out there. Whoever who wakes up one day and thinks to themselves, one day I want to be a prostitute. No girl dreams of that. In fact, I'd say no person would ever dream of that. 
No father wants that for their child. No mother wants that for their child. But yet, this is an issue that we still even see through today. Where unfortunately, people will find themselves in a situation where they're just seen as a commodity, as an object of pleasure. As, as, as a way to be able to get something out of it. And ultimately, if a woman finds themselves in a situation like this, it's not because they desired that for themselves, it's because something happened in life that went wrong, whether it was through their own doing or the doing of somebody else, that caused them to be in such a desperate situation that this ended up being the only path for them. The fact is, is that Rahab being a prostitute is a tragedy in itself. But yet we in some ways have allowed and enabled this kind of lifestyle because people would go to this kind of brothel or prostitute. But here lies the tragedy that we see already in this story. Rahab was most likely no stranger to being mistreated to being regularly abused, to being cheated out of things, to being uncared for, to being viewed as an object over a person with worth and with value. So when Joshua sends out these spies who enter into the city and they begin to approach Rahab and question her, obviously someone there starts to see what's going on. Let's continue to read and see what Scripture says next. It says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So what do we learn from this? So these spies come into this area, and then Rahab takes these two men, and she hides them. Why does she do this? Well, from what we can eventually see in Scripture, it's because Rahab, in some ways, is seeing these two spies, and she's realizing whose they belong to. They belong to God, the people of Israel, and she's recognizing something within them, that these people are living out the will of God, and there's, in somehow there's this, this response that Rahab feels in this moment, where she feels like she needs to be able to help these people because in some ways these people represent hope, salvation, and a better life that she obviously doesn't have for herself. So Rahab decides to hide these men. And eventually the king would approach her who is hearing about these spies that came into their town and starts to question Rahab. And Rahab responds to the king and saying, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it came, 
or sorry, at dusk when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So Rahab in this moment is putting her faith in the spies And in some ways, the spies are putting their faith in Rahab to be able to protect them. I like this moment because in some ways, Rahab is already acting as an unlikely hero. Out of all the people in this city that you would think would stand with the people of God, the least likely person that you would first envision is someone who's in this profession of being a prostitute, right? Maybe you think it would be the pastor of the society or the doctor of the society or the good teacher of the society, but no, it's the person who is oftentimes the most mistreated person in her own culture ends up being the one that partners with these people and being able to bring forth the will of God and what He's doing in this time. So how should that encourage you in this moment? Well, I think for one, it, it, it shows us that it doesn't matter how the world sees us and it doesn't matter even the circumstances negative that we have found ourselves in, that ultimately God can use us in these situations. I think it also shows us something else. And that something else is is that Rahab immediately understood that what these spies were trying to do was the will of God. And she was, she was willing to risk everything in this situation in order to help bring, bring out the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but is your faith that strong? Are you willing to risk your social standings, your career, your income, your whatever, your reputation, in order to do what God is calling you to do in life. You see, I'm not saying that every single situation ends up being an affront against those things, but there are moments where that happens. And I think it is a healthy thing for us to search our own souls and ask ourselves, what is the limits of our own faith? And stories like this should cause us to, in some ways, confront that. You see, in Rahab hiding these spies from the king, she in some ways was allowing her life to be put on the line because had the king found out that Rahab was lying to her, to him, excuse me, then it most likely would have meant death from her. But yet she was willing to risk all of that because of a hope and a belief in what God was doing 
through these spies. You know, one of my favorite parables in Scripture is the parable of the treasure or the hidden treasure as it's sometimes called. And it comes out of the book of Matthew, and I'll put that on the screen for you. And it says this. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And pay close attention to this because I think this is what's happening with Rahab here. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. The reason why I like this parable so much is because what Jesus is trying to do in this moment is he's trying to show you the worth of salvation. Just how much it means to be able to have a relationship with God and just how valuable it is that the gospel takes over our lives. That it should create some sort of response in us that we are willing to sell it all in order to receive this rich treasure. You know, I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite shows to watch on television, and sometimes I'll, I'll go on YouTube to watch it, is The Antique Road Show. Have, have any of you ever seen that before? Raise of hand, just kind of want to see. And one of the fun things about that program, right, is oftentimes someone comes in and they say, oh yeah, you know, I, I, I went to a yard sale and I saw this thing for, you know, $20, and then it, it turns out to be like a Rembrandt painting or something like that. One, one that I saw uh, pretty recently is there's this gentleman who was in the military, and while he was overseas, I believe in Germany, he bought this watch that he saw a whole bunch of airline pilots wearing, and um, this watch that he had um, just was so nice that he ended up not wearing it, and I think he paid around three, $400 for the watch, something around there. So he brings this watch out, and it's basically in, in like new condition, but it's, it's this coveted timepiece. And when the, the, the historian appraiser tells him the value, he says, you know, you paid several hundred dollars of this watch. Do you want to know what it's worth now? This guy that has this military look, you know, with a rugged beard, and he's ready to hear it. He's probably expecting some large number. The guy tells him, well, we think it's worth over $700,000. And he literally falls down in his disbelief. I mean, could you imagine... I think it makes me want to go and take a time machine and buy that same watch for a few hundred dollars to, 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 if I were to know that it was worth $700,000 or more. We all have that experience in some, some way or shape or form, right? We're like, oh man, I wish I would have jumped on Bitcoin. <laughs> but we see that in hindsight. Yet Jesus is telling us right now that we don't need to see, in hindsight, how valuable the gospel is. He's telling us flat out that the gospel is the greatest treasure 
My, the salvation that you'll experience through me is the greatest treasure you'll ever experience in your life. The forgiveness, the reconciliation, the grace, what I am providing through, through my death and life is better than any treasure that you can ever experience. But do you see it that way for yourselves? Are you willing to, if you will, sell it all in order to receive what God has for you? Or are you holding on to something that prevents you from taking that step? You see, I think Rahab in this moment understood that. And maybe you would say, Pastor, well, it's different from her. What did she have to look forward to in life? True, her life was rough, and her circumstances were grim, and maybe that did in some ways allow her to be a little bit more reckless, but she didn't know these people, and we know from Scripture that she had family and people that she obviously was in relationship with and likely provided for, and yet still she was willing to do it. But she recognized the value in these people's cause. Do you recognize the value in the cause of Christ? You know, something interesting, though, that comes out of this whole entire story is that eventually we would learn in Hebrews chapter 11, if you've ever read that section of Scripture, that's kind of called the, the, the heroes of the faith or the, the, the kind of the, the trophy people, that, the, the hall of faith, if you will, of specific people that God calls out and remembers in those passages of having great faith. Well, out of the 22 people that are mentioned in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, two of them are women. Now, there could be many more, both men and women, that could have been mentioned. But the author of this passage, for whatever reason, singles out two women. Uh, Esther could have been on this list, Tamar could have been on this list, so many other women, Naomi could have been on this list, Mary could have been on this list, I mean, countless women could have been on this list. But for whatever reason, the author singles out Sarah and then Rahab. And the author here specifically singles out these people and says that by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So Scripture honors this woman, and as we're going to learn a little bit later, there's even more ways that Scripture and God honors this woman. But something that's very curious about this story that I think we should talk about is what did Rahab do? She hid the spies, but she also lied. Now, I don't know about you, but at least when I was a small boy, my mother used to tell me that lying was a sin, right? That I should be an honest person 
that I should do my best, best to be a truth teller. But yet God honors Rahab in Hebrews chapter 11, but we know that a big portion of her story, she ends up lying to the king. She ends up sending the king and all of the king's military in a totally different direction while she in some ways is colluding as a traitor now in her own society to be able to help out a foreign nation in entering into this city. And this foreign nation is most likely going to enter into this city to demolish it in order to take over that land. If someone did that in America, they would be deemed a traitor and we would lock them up and throw them away the key. Wouldn't we not? But yet God honors this person in this moment. Why does God do this? And is, there, is this somehow conflicting with Scripture? This is what you would call an ethical issue within Scripture that causes us to, to kind of wonder and question, well, what's right and what's wrong? If God wants us to be people that don't lie and that are honest people, then why would God honor Rahab? Now, here's the thing. Don't hear what I'm about to say and think, Kevin's now promote, Pastor Kevin's now promoting lying. I'm not saying that. If my son lies to me, which he already has tried to, you know, be sneaky, sometimes he'll hide something behind his back. When I say, hey, put away the cars, he'll hide it behind his back. And I mean, it's, you can see it in plain sight, but he still thinks in his little mind that he's, you know, getting away with something. Those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't want him to do that. And I think that's wrong. But I think there are also moments where the virtue of our situation matters. Let me give you an example. And I'm just trying to do this because we're dealing with it in Scripture right now. And because it's in Scripture, we're going to talk about it. Amen? So an example would be, what if someone came into this church and wanted to harm the children and said, hey, pastor, where's the children? I would do whatever it could take in my power to give misinformation, to not allow this person to know where our children are. And look, I don't know if at the end of the day, I'll need to repent for that. I might need to do that. I'll probably take the time to do that anyways. But I believe that the most virtuous thing that I can do in a situation like that is aim to protect our children. And you may disagree with me, but I'm not going to tell anybody where our children are if their aim is to harm them. Because I love our children in our church and I want to protect our children as well, just as much as I want to protect all of you. Now, this can raise some other questions, right? And as Anabaptists, we can immediately start to think, well, how does this apply? Is this, does this apply to other things in our lives? Like, what do we do with things like defending the innocent if someone were to try to harm our loved ones? Or if someone were to try to do something evil and wicked, is the best thing to stand back? Or is the best thing to try to 
create a positive end? I don't want to give you that answer, but I do think that we at least need to confront these realities because unfortunately we live in a fallen world. And while ultimately I rather not ever find myself in a situation like that, and I pray that I never have to be in a situation like Rahab where somebody tries to force me to speak truth so that they can bring an ultimate harm, I pray that none of us are ever in a situation like that. The reality is is that some people have found themselves in situations like that. So we need to be able to find where our lines are in life. And we need to sometimes maybe even exercise that through our minds so that we can understand where the lines are that God does not want us to cross. And then we need to, as best as we can, live by that. But live by that with arms wide open saying, Lord, you need to be the one that leads me in this situation. You need to be the one that allows me to, to, to have the guidance and, and the knowledge to be able to handle this situation well. And Lord, if I am doing anything wrong, please convict me. Please stop me. Because ultimately, I want to honor you. So again, this can make us uncomfortable in, in talking about this, but we see it in Scripture. And as best as we have to do, as, as best as we can, we need to be able to wrestle with what Scripture presents to us. Because we're not, as a church, we are not going to just skip passages because they make us uncomfortable, amen? We need to allow all of God's Word to be able to convict us, mold us, and teach us in order to be better people. So I present that to you today so that you can take the time for yourself to understand, well, what does it mean to be a virtuous person? So I'll leave it at that, but hopefully that, that doesn't end up creating more questions than answers, but hopefully it gives you an opportunity to think through how these things play out, at least in Scripture, if not your own life. So what ends up happening next? I'm going to read a larger portion right now of Scripture. If you'd like to tag along, I'll put it up on the screen with verse 8. It says this, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are, are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For, you, for when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Shion and Og and two, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on the earth below. So what is Rahab saying right here? She's basically saying that we recognize that the Lord, we might have our own gods, but we recognize that your God is the God of all. And we realize now, at least I realize right now, that if your God is going to call you guys to do something, he's going to fulfill it because he's proven himself capable. Now I wonder, does your life 
demonstrate the same? Does your life demonstrate victory? Victory over your sins? Victory over the things that you have struggled with? Because church, that is an opportunity to be a witness. When you're able to overcome the things that have crippled you in life, whether that's lust or anger or your self-control or whatever it might be, your pride in life, when you're able to overcome that, that signals to everybody else the greatness of your God. So be reminded that your life is a living testimony to those who are around you. And that you have an opportunity just through the way that you live and the things that you overcome to be able to shine that light onto others. She continues, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding to us unless when we enter this land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. So what, is, what are they saying? They're basically saying we are not going to be obligated to fulfill what we talked about today unless this scarlet cord is hanging from your window. And unless you have brought all of your family in the household where this scarlet cord is hanging, then we will, not, we will not be responsible for any bloodshed that happens if you are outside of this safe space, this premises that, that we have marked by this scarlet cord. Now what we're seeing here is an obvious symbol for what? What does scarlet typically represent in Scripture? The blood. And what do we know throughout Scripture about the blood that saves us? That's the blood of Jesus. We see scarlet and the blood being what? With the people of Egypt. Painted over the, the doors, right? As the angel of death comes, they pass over that and leave those people safe. And in the same way, this scarlet cord that is hanging outside of the window, again, represents that blood. What is God doing here? He's creating, he's creating symbols that we would eventually be able to associate with Christ and His blood that is going to be hanging on top of our doorsteps or hanging outside of our windows. You see, church, when we hold to the blood of Christ, when we claim the blood of Christ in our lives, which simply means that when we allow Jesus to be the Lord over our lives... There's a certain peace that eventually comes. There's a certain safety that eventually comes. And that through His blood, we are literally redeemed people that are protected from death and destruction. 
And this symbol of scarlet that is hanging outside of her her window is the same symbol of scarlet that can hang in our lives as well. All we simply need to do is just trust our lives into the life of our Lord. She agreed with what these spies had said to her and and finishes by saying, let it be as you say. And my first and only point for today's message is a simple one. It's never too late to experience the grace of God. It's never too late to experience the grace of God. Amen? Rahab may have been a prostitute. And yes, her circumstances probably created that, and we don't know if it was of her own doing, but likely it had to do with living in a broken world where she felt like that was the only option that she had. But even despite being this kind of person who was obviously uh, in some ways allowing sin to continue in her life, God still offered her the grace of being saved in this situation. That it didn't matter how society painted her, God allowed her through this situation to be able to receive His grace. How much more could God's grace come into your life? If God's grace can come into her life, how much more could God's grace come into your life? I love this quote by A.W. Tozer that we'll have on the screen. It says, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders in interfering with God's work within us. You see, typically we struggle to just allow God to be the Lord of our lives. And unfortunately, that ends up oftentimes preventing us from receiving His grace. And we can even do this as Christians. We can do this as Christians who have been saved by the grace of God. We can still prevent God from having full access to certain areas of our lives. And I hope today, church, you are encouraged with realizing that God wants all of us. And by allowing Him to have all of us, our lives are always made the better for it. So what would eventually happen to Rahab? Eventually, time would go on, and God would call the Israelite army to march around the city, and they would do this repeatedly, and ultimately, they would do this multiple times, and God eventually tells them that on the seventh time of doing this, that they are going to have the, the, the priest carry trumpets and ram's horns, and that they're going to blow their horns, and they're going to shout, and that the city walls would come down at that moment, and exactly that happens. The city walls start to crumble around Jericho, all but one wall, the wall that has the scarlet cord hanging outside of it. And eventually, we would see Rahab enter into the Israelite family. And in 
chapter 6, verse 23, it says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. See, something you might not know is that Joshua eventually had Rahab before entering into the Israelite uh, family. He had her separated from Israel. And this was most likely because she needed to enter into a cleansing process because they had a very strict ethic of how you enter into community. But what I love about what happens next, and we know this because we see it out of the book of Matthew, is that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, as they are going down the genealogy of the, the families that would ultimately lead to Christ, there's a name that pops up. And typically when you read genealogies in Scripture, you see the Father's name mentioned. But Scripture will ultimately interrupt that in order to mention this one special name. And whose name do you think that is? Rahab. So God did not only use this person who by the world was seen as a prostitute to be able to bring victory and help them enter into the promised land, but God would literally use this person to be the one that would carry the line of Christ. This person that had most likely seen multiple men throughout her life who by our own standards, even by today, would have been seen as someone who was dirty and used, God would give this person the dignity and the grace to always and forever be known as one of the mothers that would lead to Christ. Church, God's grace is big. And we oftentimes do in a great injustice and a great disservice to how wonderful the gospel is and how often we can create this, this pressure in ourselves to be perfect, where we end up disqualifying ourselves because of our own sins. Church, I've done this. I know you've done this. Where you think that you can't be used by God because of a sin in your life, whether it's past or it's present. And don't get me wrong, God wants you to find victory in whatever struggles you experience. But ultimately, know this, that there is nothing that God can't redeem and use for His glory. Even a prostitute can be used for God's glory. And we see that demonstrated today in Scriptures. So how much more could God use you to do something wonderful and great for His kingdom? Amen? Amen. Let's pray.